0: Good morning. Today is kind of exciting. We're going to be starting a new sermon series. And as Laura mentioned, it's called Conversations with Jesus. And really what we're going to be looking at are many different conversations that Jesus had with different people in the Gospel of John. From those who were outcast to those who were at the social height of the civilization. And so through that, we're going to learn more about Jesus as he has discussions and conversations with other people. Now, the Gospel of John is a little bit different. If you're new to the Bible, or maybe the first time you read through the Bible, you notice that at the beginning of the New Testament, there are actually four different stories about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first three are known as the Synoptic Gospels. And that's, that's from a Greek word that basically means seen together. And, and they have much of the same stories within them, slightly maybe arranged differently, a little bit different emphasis, but they really do fit together very, very well. John's kind of a horse of a different color. John had a specific purpose for writing his book, and we're going to mention that in just a moment, but he also used certain literary means by which he wants to communicate his message using something called the I am statements, using some Specific miracles of Jesus that he points out and also utilizing some conversations that don't appear in the other gospel So I think it's an exciting time because it's almost like you got you have to listen in to these conversations as Jesus is having them several thousand years ago We talked about the purpose statement if we go toward the end of John in John 20 30 through 31 he says this Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples Which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So you see the highlighted sections I have there. That he's talking about coming to belief so that we might have life. And he mentioned at the very front part, he says that Jesus did other signs, I wrote these specific ones down to help you come to that belief. And really, at 11 o'clock, our Sunday school that we have for our adults through Zoom, we're going to be looking at those seven signs or those seven miracles of Jesus to discover more about who he is, who we are, and how we relate together. The same thing will be happening on Sunday mornings as we look at the conversations that Jesus had. One of the important aspects, though, when we talk about having belief is what do we have belief about? And you see here it says that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Those are specific things that have great meaning and theological significance to them. The idea of the Christ is the same. That's the Greek idea of the Hebrew of Messiah. And it's speaking about the one who's bringing the kingdom of God. If you look in the the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of God. But it's something that the Jews were looking forward to because to their mind, the Messiah was going to bring in the kingdom of David back and they would no longer be under control of other civilizations. They would be in control of everything. Yet, we see the the concept of the Messiah. is talking about much, much more than that. More than what the Jews really understood at that point in time. And the concept of the Son of God is, is not that... He is born from God and and started in existence, but that the Son of God is God, as John's going to mention in a minute, and has a specific role to do in the Godhead. Those are the things that we really want to have people come to believe. And in fact, remember, at a certain point in Jesus's ministry, after kind of a hard time, he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, well, something you're John the Baptist come back from the dead. Spoil alert, yes, John gets beheaded because he speaks truth to power and they don't like what he have, has to say. And so they said, well, maybe, maybe you're John the Baptist come back from the dead or maybe Elijah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus asks that significant question. To his disciples, he says, but who do you say I am? And that's when Peter jumps in and says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Very much what John is saying right here. Now there's another verse in John where he he again explains his purpose. And it's one of those verses that probably you have memorized in your head, right? It's really the heart of the gospel, John 3.16. And we want to look at John 3.16 and 17 here. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not, come, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So very similar to what he said at the end of the gospel, he says more toward the beginning that God loves all, that belief in the Son brings eternal life. And that's really the theme that we're going to see in the conversations that we look at starting next week. That this belief leads to eternal life. Now, there's a a particular survey that goes out every other year. It's by Lingalore Ministry. R.C. Sproul started this ministry many years back. He's gone on to be with the Lord at this point. But the the 2020 survey has been conducted. It's actually not going to be released until Tuesday of this coming week. But I did see an article that that kind of gave a preliminary understanding of what's there. And what they've done here is they've surveyed over 3,000 adults in the United States and, and asked them a series of 36 questions to say, do you agree or disagree with this statement? And from that then they take a look at where people are at In their idea of God and their beliefs. And and one of the first things that we see is it says that 52% of American adults believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but he is not God. Now, that doesn't mean that 48% believe he's God because some of those other people believe that Jesus was either a myth or that he was a revolutionary. But again, they might not have that idea of Jesus as God Four of the questions at the end of the survey are then used to see whether or not people are evangelical. And, and the idea there is that they, um, they have a certain belief system. And some of the questions have to deal with, do you believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God? Do you believe that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and death is the only means by which we have life or can have eternal life in connection with God? So those kinds of questions help to put people into that camp called evangelical. And what's, what the survey found out was that among those people who identified as evangelicals by answering the affirmative to four specific questions, 30% also agreed with the statement that we just saw earlier, that Jesus was merely a great teacher. Now, there seems to be a disconnect there. And we're going to look at John and what he says about the idea of just Jesus just being a man. But the other thing that it showed was that 65 or almost 65% agree with the statement, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. And we want to look at both of those concepts. Is Jesus a created being? Is Jesus just a man? And let's take a look at what John says about that. John 1, 1 through 3 is, is known as the prologue of the gospel. I'm going to read it and then we're going to examine it a little further. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, it takes a few more verses before John starts to identify who the Word is. And spoiler alert again, yes, it is Jesus. And what he's saying is very similar to what we see in the opening book of the Bible in Genesis, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here we get more insight. That same in the beginning, which means before there was time or space or matter or anything that we understand, there was God. And there also was the word. Because the word was with God, and then it says the word was God. Now, here's where our minds start to struggle a little bit. Because if you've ever looked at the idea of the Trinity, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. There's only one God. They are one God, yet three different persons in one God. We start to fall apart because we can't handle that kind of logic very easily. And the reason that we hold to that isn't because we like that idea and made it up. Hey, let's let's make all three of them God and see how it all fits together. But as we look into scripture, we start to see how God defined himself. And here we see that the word and God are one, and yet they seem to have some separateness or some different identity there. And then it talks about the word, which again will turn out to be Jesus. It says that all things were made through him. And nothing was made without him making it. And what John's trying to get across is the idea that, that Jesus, the Son of God, the Word, was not a created being. He is God who has existed eternally. And so just at the beginning of John, he answers both of those questions about, is Jesus only a man? Or is Jesus the first created being? And say, no, those, neither one of those is true. Then a little bit later, he starts to identify the word. He first says in John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And we're going to see that phrase, grace and truth, in, in another context in a little bit. So he said, yeah, this word became flesh, or we talk about the incarnation of Christ, making God turn uh, come into flesh so that we could have the experience of seeing God and experiencing Him in a way that we hadn't done before. And then a, a couple of verses later, He now actually identifies the Word and the incarnate one with Jesus. And He says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now we're going we're to hold off on that second verse for a minute. Basically, he's saying that Moses brought the law and part of the law was the sacrificial system so that man would have an opportunity to have sins removed. And that was by bringing a spotless sacrifice like a lamb to the priest who would then kill it and the blood would then pay for the sins of the person to that point in time. The book of Hebrews will say, well, that wasn't an inadequate sacrifice because we're going to continue to sin and we're going to have to continually come back and give these sacrifices. And, and so that was the system that God had Moses put into place. But there's a new system or a new sheriff in town. And it says, Jesus came to bring grace and truth. And John will talk more about what that really means. But basically, it's a means by which we can have our sins forever taken care of. In a way that we couldn't have done on our own. And then verse 18. And, and, and these verses that I'm displaying are from the English Standard Version. Uh, there are different versions of the Bible. This one t- tends to be a little more literal. So it's trying as much as possible to keep the Greek words in place. And, and, and say things without putting too much uh, commentary into it. The, the verses that you'll see in new Version, Laura put out there as the NIV. And I want to read that second verse, first of all, in ESV, verse 18, and then in NIV. So in verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God, the, one, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. It seems a little convoluted. The, the uh, NIV says, No one has ever seen God, But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. It's a little bit more clear there that what John is talking about is saying that no one has seen God, yet he became incarnate, and the one that was at his side forever has now come down and made known who God is by being with us. And again, referring back to that concept of the incarnation, that now we have that opportunity to experience God in a wholly different way and learn these truths that Jesus is bringing as the word of God so that we can understand more fully who God is. Now, the writer of Hebrews says something very similar to everything we just put together, and he did it this way. He said, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So we again have that concept there of Jesus being the one who created all things. And we see he's also the word in the respect that before God spoke through prophets, but now he has spoken through his son in a different way than he was able to do through the prophets. And so Hebrews actually is a beautiful book to read that understands the idea of what the sacrifice was like and what Jesus actually does as being our sacrifice. Let's go back now to to the verses right after the prologue, starting in verse 4. He says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John talks a lot about light. Now, some of the other gospels do too, as Jesus gives his discourse in in Matthew that talks about, you know, you are the light of the world. But here it says that he's the life, has the life, and is the light for men. Now, when I was younger, we did a lot of camping. And I think it was more, we we enjoyed camping, but it was because we didn't have a whole lot of money. I I did the same things when my kids were very young before I was able to actually take them to a hotel, which let me tell you, my son so much enjoyed the hotel room and the pool and all. But remember out in the woods, if you've ever been camping, and, and we used to camp a lot in the redwoods, you know, the big tall trees that would just sort of block everything out. And when you had a cloudy night, You knew what darkness was It was dark The old expression You could not see your hand in front of your face And we didn't have a lot of technology We had some flashlights But they were the kind of old ones And and you'd have to kind of twist it And bang it a little bit To get that light to come on And it didn't shine that much But even that little bit of light When you had total darkness You saw things That you couldn't see before In fact, when it's really dark, you're kind of experiencing things being there, which aren't even there. But with the light, you can see for sure what's there and what's not there. That's what Jesus is for us. He's the light. And it shines upon our darkness so that we start to understand who we really are, where we really are, and what's really going on. And because darkness is really the absence of light, Darkness can't overcome light. When you have light, it overtakes the darkness. The darkness can't overtake it. And so Jesus came to show us what is really true and what's not true. John goes on and says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, John is talking about John. John the Apostle wrote the gospel. This is talking about John the Baptist who was the precursor to the Messiah coming. He says, this John, John the Baptist, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light. And again, the phrase that I underlined, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And and so John acted as a forebearer for the Messiah coming. His whole purpose was to speak about this so that others might believe. So John's writing, John the Apostle, was to put together the information necessary to help us to believe. John the Baptist was there to also help others come to believe in who Jesus really was. Then it says in verse 9, the true light... Which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So again, he sees that kind of that, that, that dichotomy in fact Jesus made all things, and yet his own creation did not recognize who he was. He came to bring the light so people could really see what's there. And yet they rejected him. Specifically, he's talking about the nation of Israel that was set up for thousands of years with information about God, and about what God's doing. And yet when the ultimate fulfillment came of all the prophets, the Messiah, they did not recognize him. Because in their mind, they had a different Messiah they were looking for. It's sort of like in Private Benjamin. Again, I'm dating myself with some of these movies, but that was where Goldie Hawn joins the service because everything else is happening wrong in our, in, in our life, in the army. And, and then she makes a statement. Well, this isn't the army I joined. I was wanting the one that has the nice rooms and room service, and, but that's not the army I joined. And the Israelites were sort of in the same boat. They said... Well, wait a minute. We, we already know what the Messiah is going to be like. He's going to come and, and we're going to remove all of these other countries from controlling us. And we're going to be in control. And it's all about the political arm that we want to have established here. Like David had at one time. And they didn't recognize the truth of what God was saying about what the Messiah was going to bring. And what the kingdom of God was all about. And so they could not to make the connection between what they saw And what reality was. And what they they wanted in their own hearts. And so as a nation. They rejected Jesus. But not everyone. He goes on to say. But to those who did receive him. Who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood. Nor of the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of man. But of God. Now, there are several times I've heard in in classes that I've taught, somebody will make the the expression that you sometimes hear in the world, well, we're all God's children. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, I, I always stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that true? We're all God's creation, but the Bible tells us we're not all God's children. He says, in fact, for us to have the right to be children of God, we have to believe in Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God, and receive him. So belief and receiving leads to us being born again into God's family to become his children. And this so much is the emphasis that John is doing through this gospel is to help us to come to that belief so we can be adopted into God's family. We can receive this everlasting life that God promises to us because of the fact that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. In fact, what he says in verse 13 is saying, any other means by which we can try to get to God and become his children will not work. He first says that, that not of blood, in other words, The Jewish people were looking to face the fact that they were Abraham's offspring. You know, we have that lineage that goes back to Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So as his children, his offspring, we should also have the imputed righteousness to us too. So we're going to stand on the fact that we have the bloodline to Abraham. And he says, no, 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 that doesn't give you the right to be children of God. It's not about the bloodline. And then he says, well, it's not even about the will of the flesh. In other words, it's not about us trying to be good enough. Because scripture is so clear that none of us can be good enough. We will all falter because of the sin nature we were born with. We all will rebel at one time or another. We will not be able to just do all the right things because we're willing it. It just won't happen. And, and not only that, is that, that, it's not because that... Uh, our our minds you know we can get together and decide oh I'm going to live in my mind for God it doesn't matter what I do with my body but my mind I'm always focused on God I'm I'm living in that realm and there was actually a, a group of philosophers at the time called the Gnostics and what they said was that the spirit and the flesh are separate things. I, I've actually heard people talk about this. They aren't Gnostics, but they have the same Gnostic philosophy. And so, so the idea is, well, I could do things with my body that might look wrong. But in my mind, in my spirit, I'm living for righteousness. I'm living good. And so so long as, as, as I do that in those two realms, I'm okay. <coughs> but here it says that it doesn't have to do with Our desire to do right, because we can't. And not even our desire to will our minds and our spirit to be right, because we can't. It only comes from God, who brought Jesus to us, and by believing and receiving, then we can be adopted as children into his family. John, toward the end of the chapter, then starts talking this way. What's happened before this is is that Jesus was baptized, and so John is sort of retelling the story of that event. He says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. And so he starts to talk about the Lamb of God. And and the Jewish people would have understood that concept. You know, as we talked about earlier, Moses brought the law. And part of the law was the sacrificial system. So you would bring that spotless lamb to be killed for your sin. And so that blood covered your sin for that point of time. But Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away not just a momentary sin, but takes away all sins for the entire world because of his sacrifice. Now, in order to receive that, you have to do what the previous verses said was to believe and receive who Jesus is and what he did for you. But John says, this is the lamb. His whole purpose was to come so that he could pay the penalty so we could find connection with God as his children to receive eternal life. And he says then, this is whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Now, John was born, John the Baptist, was born before Jesus. We see that story in Luke and in Matthew. That So, so in, in, as far as the preeminence in birth order, John wins. But John is saying, no, no, I, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I, I, I don't have the same rank. And not only that, he was before me. And John was referring to, to the fact that Jesus the Messiah was as John said, with God before there was anything in the beginning. He then says, I myself did not know him. Now, John knew, John the Baptist knew Jesus because they were cousins. They probably played together. They lived together in different places. And so he was aware of Jesus as a person, but he was not aware of Jesus as the Messiah. There are some who, who believe that Jesus growing up, he had to go out there and probably performed all kinds of miracles, you know. But really, we don't have that. We, we have nothing about what Jesus did until the age of 12 when he, he stayed behind and did some teaching. And, and it was amazing the kind of teaching he did. But, but it seemed like he grew up just like any ordinary child. That, that yes, maybe he seemed to be acting well and doing right, But no one really took that much notice of him to the point where he wasn't really that different from anyone else. And so that's why John can say, hey, I I didn't know him as far as him being the Messiah. But he said, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. He said, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. Again, in verse 33, he says, I myself did not know him. In other words did not know him as the Messiah but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me he is who, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the son of God in fact We talk about the Trinity. That word is never in the Bible. But we see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in many places in Scripture. We see it in creation, in Genesis. We see it again here at the baptism of Jesus. Where the, the Father speaks. This is my Son on whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends and there's Jesus as he's been baptized. And so John is saying, God told me this was going to happen. And when it did, I then had my eyes opened To who Jesus was. Yes, he was the Messiah to come. He was the Son of God. And then he says, and my purpose is to bear witness that this is the Son of God. You know, I think that John very much answers the question about who Jesus is. Is Jesus just merely a man who who had some great teachings like like Buddha or, or, or some of the other great teachers out there. No, he was more than a man. Yes, his teaching was great, but, but it was because he was revealing God to us. Was, was Jesus a created being? Maybe the greatest created being or the first created being? No, it, John says he is God. Now, again, that can be somewhat confusing. And one of the reasons I really like teaching a program called the theology program is because we get to get old deep into these issues that, that scripture reveals to us that takes us some time to dig through so that we can understand the portrait of who Jesus really is. And, and what we hope is that through these sermons that we're going to have, the sermon series on conversations with Jesus, you will see more and more about who Jesus is and what he's done for us and how we can be connected to him. And, and you, maybe you'll be even surprised if you've never read through some of these before about the intensity of what Jesus does and says. The same thing with the the miracles we're going to be talking about for the next seven weeks in our adult class at 11 o'clock, that that each miracle helps us to see a little bit deeper into the person of Jesus and his mission for coming. Uh, So it's a great series, and, and I really like the fact that I'm going to be teaching that, that, the, those courses that fit so well with this sermon series so that we can really have a better understanding. And, and maybe you have a full understanding. You, you've been a Christian for uh, enough years and you've studied Scripture, but it helps us to be prepared so that we can bear witness to others. You see, you could be in one of three boats right now. Hopefully not one that's sinking. But you could be in the boat where you are a Christian, and, and, and you do have the understanding that of who Jesus really is and what he's done for you, well, John tells us that the step that we need to all be taking now is to bear witness to that to others. At Cedars Church, we talk a lot about inner circle to the point where sometimes, you know, you might get tired of hearing about it. But in reality, what we're trying to say is what John said is that we all have that responsibility to help others come to the knowledge of who Jesus is So they may believe too, and in believing and receiving, they will receive eternal life. And that's really what we want for those, really for the whole world, but especially for those who are closest to us. Now, another boat that you might be in is one who's not quite sure about all this. You've heard a little bit about this. Maybe you've studied a little bit, but it's it's still, you're, you're having difficulties fitting it together. You're not to the point where you can believe yet because there's still investigation you need to do. And and so we encourage you to keep that investigation going. Attending the rooted sessions might be one way that you could get more of that information. You can examine it more in a safe environment or talking to maybe one of your Christian friends or even contacting the church office so that we can have opportunities to speak with you. But we just encourage you to, to keep along that path of examination to the point where you can make that determination. Is Jesus really the son of God who came to die for me and to, to give up his life so that I could have this new life? Or is he something else? And so keep the investigation going. But the third group you might be in is you've already looked at this and, and you have that belief now really welling up in you. But you never really received it. You've never really spoken yet. God, I, I want to be part of your family. I, I believe I want to receive Jesus and I want to become a child of God so that I can now be one of those who bear witness. I, I encourage you at that point that you can talk to a Christian friend and, and express that to him, and so they can help you through that process. That's another great opportunity to come to Rooted where you can see more about that and you can have that opportunity to share your story and to speak about the belief that God has welled up in you. We always get to the point where when somebody comes to belief that we usually have them pray a prayer with us. And it's, it's not that this prayer saves you, but it helps you to to identify those elements about who Jesus is and to make that step of faith to say, yes, I accept and receive this free gift that God has given to me. And in closing, I want to pray a prayer like that. If you are in that third boat, if you have the belief there and you, you desperately want God to cover your sins and you want to experience that connection with God, I, I, just pray this prayer with me or, or think about it and pray it on your own at some time because we want you to be part of the family. And, and if you do go through that, please let us know so that we can connect you with the rest of the family because really we are a family of brothers and sisters who are children of God and we want to help you along the pathway. So, so I'm going to pray, and and you can pray along with me. Father, I recognize what you say here in in the Gospel of John and elsewhere that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and and that Jesus, as as your Lamb, has died for me and covered my sins. I was living in darkness, I, I, I could not see the truth, but you've exposed the truth, and now. I gladly receive this free gift that Jesus offered to me. And I want to become part of your family. So I invite you, Jesus, into me to take over, to be my Lord and Savior. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, that prayer is not magical, but the concept is. And you can express it in your own words. You can talk it over with with someone else. But we want to welcome you. If you did carry that prayer, you are my, my, my brother or my sister because now you're a child of God. And again, let us know about that. I'm going to close us in prayer now. Father, we thank you for the word becoming flesh and showing us who God really is. And God, for all of us who call ourselves Christians, Lord, you brought others into our lives to bear witness of this fact. And we thank you, God, for, for our fathers and mothers, our friends, relatives, anyone, all those who you brought into our life to help us along that path, God. And we just thank you, God, that you made this offer to us and you gave it to us freely. And, and now, God, we want to live for you, to, to be able to tell others about this faith so they can also believe and find eternal life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.